0: Let me clarify something for you this morning, church. Joe just read verse uh, 10 of Isaiah 41 to us, and I want to just focus in on this. It fits right in with our message this morning. I want to focus in on when God tells us that he's going to strengthen us, he's going to help us, that he is going to uphold us with his righteous right hand. Let me ask you this morning, church, who is the righteous right hand that God is referring to It's Jesus, the Messiah. That's exactly who it is. If you and I will make it into glory, if we will be able to stand in the face of some of the things that are going to be unraveling according to the book of Revelation, and if we were to stand before God someday and to gain entrance and hear those words, well done, it will be because of Jesus. Make no mistake. Put all your hope in him. Look nowhere else. No other path, no other solution. It will be because of Jesus. God will uphold us with his righteous right hand, and that right hand has a name. His name is Jesus. I hope you will, in the in a similar vein of participation this morning, continue to study with me or to read with me the, uh, uh, the Word of God. We're going to be reading a, a number of different passages. Colossians one twenty seven says that we, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to proclaim Jesus Christ. We're to proclaim Him, warning everyone and teaching everyone so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal. And if you were here last week, you recognized that uh, uh, I kind of, took liberty to jump off of that message that I gave a couple of weeks ago on that topic and said, I want to explore this topic of who Jesus the Messiah really is. If we're to be claim- we are to be proclaiming, let me just slow down a bit. If we are to be proclaiming Jesus to people, then let's have an idea of who Jesus is. Who is this Messiah that we're talking about? And I jumped into this uh, whole idea or this thought by looking at Andrew, the disciple of Jesus, that when he first ran into Jesus, that he uh, went to his brother Simon Peter. Well, uh, Simon, who was going to be called Peter. And he said in, uh, this is in John chapter 1, he says brother. He didn't say those words, at least not recorded. He said, you, uh, we have found the Messiah, if I get this set out right. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is uh, John chapter 1 verse 41. We have found the Messiah. In many ways, I'm going to tell you, and maybe I didn't put all this stuff together, and uh, there's things I'm thinking this week as I'm getting ready for this week and uh, this, this Sunday morning, things that I'm I didn't always, I don't always put together. You see things, they go together in my head and they don't always come out of my mouth. And so I don't know if if it always like, like fits together. But in, in some sense, it's this, as we're proclaiming Jesus, it's this that we're saying. We're going to people that we know and saying, listen, we found the Messiah. We found him. But I want to make sure we understand who the Messiah is. What do we know about the Messiah who is Uh, We call him Jesus, Messiah meaning the anointed one or Christ, if you want to use the word Christ. Uh, He's the anointed one. Last week, we began with looking at the fact that according to the scriptures we read, and I I selected some for you. There's many more we could read. I selected intentionally, however. I selected one from the Old Testament. I selected one from the beginning of the Gospels. I selected one from uh, Jesus' own words, and I selected one from the end of the book, from Revelation. We're going to be in those exact same passages today, so I hope you don't get tired. As it turns out, as God works things out, actually, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you read one of the entire sections that uh, I'm going to read again for you this morning. Uh, but I, I did that on purpose to get a viewpoint from all of Scripture. And I, I, we teased out things, and not every one of those sections has, you know, overwhelming evidence of each of these things. We talked about yet last week on Sunday morning the fact that there's a specific aspect of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, that he was sent there was a purpose. There was, a, there was intentionality. There was, a, there was a reason, and God intended to accomplish something through Jesus Christ. And he did, by the way, accomplish something through Jesus Christ. He accomplished the greatest thing that ever could be accomplished. That's how we should think of it. Is that how you think of it this morning? Is what Jesus did on the cross the greatest thing that you've ever heard of? Is his resurrection out of that tomb the most amazing thing you've ever realized or come to know? Well, I'm pretty excited up here, but I'm not sure how excited you all are down there. <laughs> Is it really? You don't seem too convinced. If I, were, if, I were, if I were not sure this morning, if that would have come as a really honest, sincere question to you, I wouldn't be very convinced right now. And I don't mean that to be uh, extremely harsh. I do mean it, however, for you to realize of. I I think I think Jesus deserves a little of your passion and your your commitment and your I I don't I mean I don't know. Hey, thank you. Where's Caleb? Caleb, what's your favorite sports team? Michigan, of course it is, because we live, we're in Michigan, right? You live in Michigan. So if I were to ask you, Caleb, and I don't want to put you on the spot, so you don't have to answer like this, but if I were to just substitute for your favorite, favorite team, and I were to ask you if that's your favorite team, would you, would you respond the way you just did? Like, your team won last night, is that the best, is that the great news? And you're all like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I can't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be harsh, but. And I don't, want to be, I don't want to make this selfish. And this was not a, at all where the message was going to go. But Jesus means a lot to me. And I hope you know that. I come up here week after week, and I want to teach you the word of God with passion because I think the word of God and what the message that's impaled in here is something that is more precious than anything else you'll ever hear in your life. And I don't, <laughs> I don't need you to fabricate a whole bunch of rah-rah. In fact, if it's fabricated, I don't want it. Jesus doesn't want it. But I, it's a sincere question, and I kind of was going really fast and running past it because I wanted to get to the message, but it's a sincere question. Is the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ coming back out of that grave, is that the best thing you have ever heard in your life or not? It must be. It has to be. There's nothing else I could tell you that would mean more to your eternal destiny. Nothing. I have nothing else to offer. If you're expecting some other tips, tricks, how-tos, 10 easy steps, or great ways to live your life, I I don't have them. They're not here to offer. It's Jesus. Jesus was sent for a purpose. He came for a reason, and we are the beneficiaries of that reason. And I ended last week in the morning by reminding us that in the same way, when we become the image bearers of Jesus Christ, when his Holy Spirit is in, inside of us, that we too must see ourselves as sent, as having intentionality, as having purpose and reason for why you are alive on this earth this moment. I get I get. I get frustrated with our culture that likes to have a bring about in us this hero complex that we're all going to save the world. So I, when I say things like that, I don't mean it in that vein. I don't mean that every one of you have, like, like you are all here to, to, like, revolutionize the world. Now, if God wants to do it through you, I think you should be okay with that. I mean, you should see yourself as here for a reason that God is not, he, it wasn't like you slipped through the cracks or like, like, oh yeah, here's one extra child. I wasn't really planning for them, so we'll just let them live their life. You're here for a reason and that reason may be grand by man's standards or it may be pitiful by man's standards. I can assure you, if you fulfill the purpose God has for you, it will be grand by God's standards and that's really whose standard matters. And for many of us, that really looks like day after day the, just the obedient, faithfulness, living for Jesus Christ day after day. It looks like so boring to most people. It looks like like a waste of time to so many people in the world. It is, in fact, the testimony. And that's what Scripture teaches, right? That our act of worship is our life surrendered to him, whatever that may look like. We then, in the evening, looked at the fact that the Messiah was rejected and this is a theme that's present in all uh in almost all of the messianic type of texts that come across in scripture front to finish it's the one that we have such a hard time grasping because it doesn't fit it doesn't make sense right like if the king of the universe is going to come into our world we will not expect him to be rejected would we we would not expect him to to experience any kind of pain or heartache we would not expect him to uh be turned away by those that he created those that he came to die for right and yet that's exactly what happened and we talked on Sunday night, when we, just before we partake in, in communion, that that's how we should see ourselves. It's just like the scent part, that we also have to wrestle with and acknowledge and yield to the fact that, according to the world, we will be rejected. That's, that, that's the path our Savior walked. That's the path that we walk, that we will experience rejection. I, I shared the verse out of Hebrews. that says, let us go outside the camp and suffer despisement or rejection that Jesus suffered where he was killed. Today, we get to talk about what I think is the most exciting one, which is why I want you all to be engaged and excited, because it's the fact that the Messiah, there's very clear in the text of the, of, of the Messiah, the anointed one from God, that he is the exalted one. Again, the pattern didn't follow like what everyone expected it to follow, but we cannot deny that Jesus is the exalted one. We know this is what the early church leaders believed because after they were uh, harassed and threatened uh, and even beat by the leaders of the, of the Jewish church because they were speaking in the name of Jesus and healing in the name of Jesus, and they were called back into them, and they were continued to say, hey, we told you not to speak in Jesus' name anymore, and they said, they, they said, well... This is where you have to judge. This is the part where in Acts chapter 5, we have to listen to God, not to you. And the very next thing out of their mouths was that God has exalted him, Jesus Christ, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This was God's plan. He sent him. He was rejected. But God has exalted him at his right hand. And he is, in fact, the leader, the archegos, the chief leader, the, the, the highest leader that there is. And he is the savior. We would often today say Lord and Savior. He is Lord, which means boss, and Savior, which means he's the one who redeems us. He is both of those to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So what I'd like to do today is what we did last week. I'd like to go uh, piece by piece through those passages that I picked out that we read last week. I hope you're not tired of hearing them, and I'm going to just ask you the questions that I'm thinking through as I'm studying this text. The first one is Isaiah chapter 52. I want you to turn there with me. We're going to read Isaiah 52, the last part, Isaiah 53, the entire chapter, and then I want to see evidence. I want you to be thinking of evidence of how we see that the Messiah was going to be exalted or was exalted by God. Now, last week, as we first looked at it on Sunday morning, we looked for ways that he was sent. Sunday evening, we looked for ways that he was rejected. And now we're going to look for ways that he is exalted. Listen carefully. Church, it's the word of God. Pay attention to these words. How beautiful, Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. They watch the Messiah come. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves. This is talking about giving out of the world when you realize the salvation of God. Uh, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant, he begins to now talk about the Messiah more specifically. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle, just connect that again. As many were astonished at you, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand." Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief." and makes intercession for the transgressors. Again, there's much in this text that does not necessarily have to do with being exalted, but there are a few things in this text where we recognize that God says the Messiah is going to be exalted. So I'm just going to stop and ask you, would you be willing to participate with me again this morning? Where do you see evidence in these verses that Jesus the Messiah was exalted or was going to be exalted? Verse 13. Yeah, it says it right on it, right? It says it right right directly. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So it literally says it in the text. By the way, I love how God does these things because that verse comes right on the heels of a long string of verses that talk about Jesus' rejection, right? Many of us can understand the exaltation part and struggle with the rejection part. I talked a little bit about that already. And yet, it's true. For some reason, for God's way of doing things, the path through exaltation, you may hear this a few times this morning, the path through exaltation came through rejection, came through suffering. How else do you see exaltation in these verses? it's exactly one that I'm thinking of. Thank you, Glenn. When it says the Lord will bear his arm of holiness and will and all the eyes of the nations will see the salvation it's a, it's a re, a revelation, a, a declaration. Think of when you read in later texts in the New Testament, which we know because we've read the whole Bible, we see that, that all, the, all the eyes will see him; those whom they have pierced, and they will look upon him and weep, right? It's that kind of mindset. It's the exaltation. It's the fact when you exalt something, what, what is that action? What is the action of exalting? It's, it's of lifting up, right? So when it's lifted up, then it's where everyone can see. That's what exaltation is about, is so that everyone can see, to be put on display. And that's what these verses say, that God is going to bear his holy arm, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I I would submit to you, by the way, it is in this verse. You see, you find all kinds of connections I don't think we often think about, of like in this verse, and actually in this verse, we find a great connection to a call of missions, Right? It is this mandate that we carry out as we go into all the world, teaching people, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey Jesus, is that all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now, we know someday it's going to happen with clarity. But isn't that the effort of missions? Is, I mean, I just said that, right? We proclaim Jesus. We're, we're to go to people and say, look, I found the Messiah. It's to reveal the salvation. What else do you see in these, in these verses? Is there anything else? Okay. Great, great. There's specific language. Why not just say that people won't know what to say? Very specific. Kings will shut their mouths because there's an aspect of exaltation of the glorification of the the elevation of Jesus over the kings of the earth. Great catch, Aaron. What else yeah chapter 53 again chapter 53 is mostly about the suffering and the rejection of Jesus but there are glimpses of exaltation in there notice in contrast Joe read verse 10 notice in contrast it talks about just earlier that his life is cut off like, like that, he, that that Jesus didn't have any direct descendants right like he didn't have children his, his life is cut off by human standards, but in verse 10, it talks about the fact that he's going to see his offspring, right? That there's going to be many people who are saved and are become, becoming his, uh, it's uh, a couple, a little bit later it talks about the fact that he will make many uh, account righteous, and uh, I'm not seeing it here, but he will see his offspring. There's the verse that, maybe I'll just write right there where Joe's at. He's going to see his offspring. He's going to prolong his days. There's an exaltation that comes after the suffering and the death. Is that what you meant by that, Joe? I kind of took off on that, so I want to make sure that's what you meant. Look at verse 12. It says that God is going to divide him a portion of the spoils. He's going to, he's going to receive the goods of what he has conquered, what he's overcome, because of his uh, being poured out to death. Again, the path to exaltation is rejection. Is there anything else anybody wants to bring out before we move to the next one? Yeah, look at that. No one gets satisfied. Thank you. No one gets satisfied from being rejected, right, and beat down and stay there. But there's vindication. That's another way to look at the exaltation. There's vindication there. He's going to be looking at that and be satisfied. So, so let, let's, let's, I know we, like we're in church and we, like we're plowing our way through a message and we're thinking about other things. But I just want to stop for a moment. I want you to hear those words like to you personally. If you're in the church of Jesus Christ, if you're saved, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, You are part of what he says right here, that Jesus will look upon the results of what he did and be satisfied. Jesus is glad that you're in his kingdom. Jesus is glad that you you belong to him. He's pleased with that. That should should do something to us inside of us, right? Because he looks at you and he says, it's the fruit of my labor and I'm satisfied. I'm glad. It was worth it. You're part of it. I'm part of it. The whole world, all those who are in Christ, are part of it. Of course. Let's look at the next section. John chapter one, verse eighteen. This is the beginning of the gospel. I, I went to verse forty-one, the very beginning of this, but I'm going to back up and go to the John chapter one, verse one. Read. The, we're going to read the first eighteen verses together. Again, we're going to look for signs of the exaltation of the Messiah. no. Once again, we'll just pause for a bit. What evidence do you see of the exaltation of the Messiah in these verses? Yeah, again, it says it right. We beheld his glory. Now, to put a little a little critical thinking into this, when you read in the Old Testament or any time in Scripture, when people come into God's presence and the glory of God is spoken about, is that sort of a ho hum deal? Or is that sort of a big deal? That's a big deal, right? That's a big deal because it's the glory of God. It's, it's, it's actually God's demonstration of his exaltation, of how exalted and lifted up he is. So when we read that we beheld his glory, we saw Jesus' glory, that's a statement of God revealing himself, and it's an exaltation. In Jesus Christ was the glory of God. That was, that's an exaltation right there. Thank you. Anything else? This one maybe doesn't have so many of them as the other one did, but there's a few places we can tease them out there. Okay. In one of the ways we see the exaltation is in John the Baptist himself, right? John points to him. John says, I'm pointing to Jesus. I'm not the light. I'm pointing to the light. The light is what you should pay attention to. And he says, he who comes after me, in other words, physically came after me on the scene, he is ranked Excuse me, ranked above me. He's before me. He's higher than me. He's exalted above me because he was. And when he says that last word, he says, Because he was before me. What does he mean by that? Do you know what he means by that? What's that? He's God. He's always been. That's his way of saying that, like, because he says, I just told you he came after me, like, physically in form. He came after me. I was born first. I'm older than Jesus. I showed up first. Now he's here. But, He ranks higher than me because he really actually came before me because he's the eternal. He's God. He's always been there. That's what he's trying to say. So John exalts Jesus with his words. Anything else you want to say? Okay. Okay. So a piece that I could have done, and Kervin's just referred to this, a piece that I could have done is to help us see that Jesus was actually exalted for, already and left, was sent, was rejected, and was exalted again. So he was clearly exalted because the very beginning of the gospel starts off the, with those mighty words, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there's nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus. All things were made through him. He's the light. Just You understand, just calling him the light is an exaltation. So when we're careful and we look through this, we see lots of evidences of Jesus the Messiah being lifted up, being painted with words that make us realize there's something different and special and set apart and higher about him than about everybody else. Let's keep moving. I want to go now to Jesus' own words. Let's look at John chapter 12. Verse 23 says, Jesus answered them, and we're going to read some text that Jesus said here and a few other responses yet, but, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So brothers and sisters, where do we see the Messiah exalted by Jesus' own words or things that happened around that situation as Jesus is living and walking? What's that? Verse 23. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, exalted, right? But once again, we see this pattern of this grand thing, and then what actually comes out of his mouth the very next thing, sends him on a tailspin, right? Because he says, now the time has come for me to be glorified, and so I'm going to talk to you about death, about falling to the ground and dying. In fact, he uses these words, I'm just going to take this maybe away from somebody else, but he uses the words lifted up. And those words, I think we should see the, 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 the irony or the dual meaning of those words. He's lifted up. What is it? I just told you, the, the word exalted means to be lifted up. But when he's talking about being lifted up in this case, what's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. Is that an exaltation? No, that's his rejection. And yet, God is painting the picture. Only God can do things like this, brothers and sisters, where he takes things that are actually something so negative and something so awful, and he says, but I will redeem that. He does exactly that to show us that all the awful things and failures and sins on our part can be redeemed and brought into the subjection of Jesus Christ and for his glory. When I will be lifted up, then I will draw all men to myself. Let, what else do you see in this, in this text that uh, Jesus indicates that uh, the exaltation that's coming? What's verse 28 say? So let me ask you, church, is there any way you can be exalted or lifted up higher than when God himself speaks out loud and says, I am glorifying my name in you. Is there any way possible? Is there anything I could have read for you this morning that would be a higher pinnacle of exaltation than that? No. I don't suppose it's going to happen to any of us. But I can tell you, if that were ever to happen to you, and maybe someday when you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, it will do the same thing. But that acknowledgement from the sovereign, omnipotent, highest being that exists to look at you and to say, I'm pleased. I'm glorifying my name in, in you. And he did it when Jesus got baptized. He did it on the Mount of Transfiguration. He did it right here. There can be no greater exaltation. We know the Messiah was exalted because if God spoke out loud and let everyone know. (laughs) This is it right here. Do you see anything else? The next one might be the easiest one of all to pick out because the whole scene is painted for the glorification and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Revelation. Go all the way to the end. Well, not the end of the Revelation, but the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Once again... You read these words if you were part of Sunday school this morning. I'm going to read them for you again because they're just such good words for us to read. I'm going to see, would you be willing to stand this morning to honor the reading of the Word of God? These are important words. They were all all important words that we read before. But this is, to me, is the pinnacle of the message this morning. And I want you to see if you can do this in your mind's eye to see what John is seeing. We didn't read all of Revelation, so you didn't, didn't quite get all the scenes set. But he's standing there and he's ushered into the throne room in the presence of God Verse 1 says, and then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And it says in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you, Lamb Jesus, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I don't know that we need to spend a whole lot of time this morning, church, talking about where we see Jesus being exalted because it is like, packed full in here. Are you willing to do a little demonstration with me? You guys have your Bibles? I hope you have your Bibles because I didn't put the words up on the screen. But just in the middle one, there's three times where the worthiness of Jesus is declared. First by the, uh, the elders and the living creatures and then by the angels, thousands upon thousands, and then about every creature. But the middle one, the angels, it says so clearly that all these angels, thousands upon thousands of them, And they're saying with a loud voice, and they read verse 12. So you have the Bible in front of you. We may not all have the exact same translations, but they're going to be pretty close. I don't know how many people are here this morning. Let's say 200 for an even, nice round, even number. Probably not quite that, but we're probably pretty close. There's 200 of us here. We're not even close to thousands upon thousands, are we? But could we just do a little exercise where every one of us when I, when, I, when I prompt us to read, just read verse 12. Don't say the same with a loud voice. Just start with, worthy is the lamb, and just read it as loud as you can. Like, just say it as loud as you can. Okay? Are you ready? All right. We're going to go in three, two, one. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I'll take that times about a 1,000 or more. And this is the scene that John was seeing. Let me ask you, church, is the Messiah exalted? Is he lifted up? Is he more worthy than anything else that you know of? Yes, 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 yes and amen. At the end of every one of those, they say amen, and they worship and they fall on their faces, which is what we will be doing when we enter the presence of this exalted line of the tribe of Jude and the root of David. You are worthy, Jesus. Every sacrifice you have to make, he is worthy. Every long way around you have to take, he is worthy. Everything you don't get that you want, he is worthy. Every, everything you could ever dream of that might cost you something, Jesus is worthy. And someday you will know that. Someday, every one of us will know that, but I need you to know it today so that you are ready for that day. You may be seated again because I'd like to read Philippians chapter two. I'd like to remind us as I did every other week or uh, the other message of this. Not every other week, every other message. Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11. Have, oops, oops. I'm in the wrong book. That's why it didn't make sense. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it describes Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, and we sang this song this morning, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is in a nutshell who the Messiah is that God has sent to us. Now let me ask you, Last week, it fit very neatly for me to tell you, based on reading this, to say we should have this mind that Jesus had. It it fit very neatly to tell you that you should see yourself as being sent, that there's a purpose for your being here on earth. Sunday night, if you were here, it fit very nicely for me to tell you, you should have this mind among yourself that the Messiah came and he was rejected, and you should be willing to be rejected and face rejection. Suffer. So does it work for me today to tell you that you should have this mind among you as Jesus the Messiah, that we are his image bearers and that we also can expect exaltation? What do you think? This is hard for us, right? As cultural Mennonites, this is hard for us. Why should it be any different for today's scripture than any of all the scriptures? I read the exact same scriptures so that's why I did it, by the way. That's exactly why I did it. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and this morning. Exact same scriptures, exact same conclusions about the Messiah, exact same conclusions about us. Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, what does it say? Will be exalted. James wrote these words, humble yourselves before the Lord, And he will exalt you. He will lift you up when the time is right. It is not wrong of us. It is not wrong of us to consider and yearn for the exaltation in front of God. I believe it's how he created us. That we would glory in his presence and know the delight he takes in us. And that we would be the apple of his eye, if I could use that phrase. What is wrong of us is to want the exaltation without the rejection and the sent. This is, again, why it came the whole package together. Follow Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, and follow the same path. He is our chief leader, Archegos. I just read that before. So Jesus, our chief leader, the path he walked, sent, rejected, and then exalted. Our exaltation will come. By the way, it does come. Read the book of Acts it says several times that the church had favor with the people around them. It happens even now because God in his grace gives us those things. It's not like we want to make ourselves an enemy to people on purpose. We will be rejected. If If we bring the truth of Jesus Christ and stand on his principles and in his righteousness and his holiness alone, we will be rejected by the world. That's what scripture teaches clearly. But we get pieces of that exaltation now already, but I can tell you, What we are waiting for is why it's such a linchpin moment, such a crowning achievement moment when we will hear Jesus as he's separating sheep and goats and, and 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 he will commend us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy I've prepared for you. That, I am going to tell you, will be exaltation unlike we have ever experienced. And you don't have to be told this. You will love every second of it. So for today, I believe, since I read out of the book of John, and he pointed to the John the Baptist, I believe the words I want to leave you with for the path that we are on now is quite simple. It's the words of John the Baptist himself as they came and talked to him about Jesus. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. If we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the one who was sent and rejected and will be exalted or is exalted but will be recognized as exalted, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. If we're proclaiming that, the whole message is all about Jesus and making him increase and us decreasing. Again, I read those words a couple of weeks ago. Paul says it, this is my paraphrase. Uh, he says that we proclaim Christ and him crucified, that's it, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. It's in Colossians I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, I think, or somewhere around thereabouts. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus is our Messiah. He's the anointed one. He was sent by God. He was rejected by those he came to save, and he is exalted. And it is our privilege to not only proclaim him, but our privilege to have his presence dwell inside of us, that we may be his image bearers, pointing people to him. Pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your, your, uh, your mercy to us. I thank you for the word of God that we receive that comes with power and declares who you are and what you've done through Jesus. I thank you that you sent Jesus. He makes the, all the difference in the world to us. And God, we want to uh, point to him. We want to say this is the Messiah. He was sent for a reason. He was rejected. We ourselves rejected him until we understood who he was and we, and we received and, and became part of his, his kingdom, his family, but he was rejected and through that rejection he experienced uh, victory, he conquered sin and death, he conquered the enemy, and he is exalted at the right hand of the Father and someday we will all behold him and know that he truly is King of kings and Lord of lords, that there is no power greater than his, that all things have been put under his feet. And our tongues will confess it and our knees will bow. And God, today, we want to then bow our knees and confess with our tongues so that on that day will be for our rejoicing and our exaltation and not for our condemnation. Thank you. We give you praise and glory. We worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.